Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. The truth is black history is not black history, it's American history. And the other truth of that is that biblical history is also a part of black history. It's not black history, it's biblical history. So what I'm going to do on Sunday is I'm going to take you through the Bible and I'm going to show you the African contribution to Scripture and the African, the, the, the black contribution to the church and the black contribution to America, but in a biblical fashion next week. Sister Monica is helping me with the graphics. We're going we're gonna to nail this thing down. And here, here's why. I want to tell you something why. If you do not tell history correctly, people will tell it incorrectly. When ISIS, I want you to see there's a spirit behind this. It's not about black, white, or green. This is a spirit. When ISIS went into Iraq and Syria, they went into the city of Nineveh. I don't know if you know Nineveh. Nineveh is where Jonah, the, the prejudiced prophet, was from. <laughs> Seriously, he was prejudiced. God used him to save a whole city of people he didn't like. So God is bigger than your preferences, prejudices, brokenness, wounds, anger, privilege, whatever your issue is or whatever you believe in or don't believe in. He's bigger than all that too. And so God uses a guy that hates a people to save a people. God is wild. Really, God is very in charge and uh, he does things his own way. So anyway, ISIS goes into this city and what is their goal? Their goal is to destroy all Christian artifacts from the region. That's a goal. This is why if you can take a people's history, you can curse their future. And uh, this, is, this, is, this is a part of why biblically... This must be addressed. So, so just to give you uh, a preview of next week, because I'm very, I'm, I, think it's, I think it's very important. I don't think it's very important because I'm doing it. I think it's very important because it's historically true. And what is true is right. And that is what you can build on. And in the absence of, of truth-telling, lies abound. And so when we don't tell the truth honestly... It creates space in our society to tell lies and to, and to cover the truth and, and, and to not do that. And we are, we are people of truth. I want to just say that to you, that we are people who rejoice in the truth even when it stings personally. <laughs> we are people who, we have to love the truth. See, some people, they want to keep God at arm's distance because they don't want him to discover what is true about them and he already knows. So the only person you're kidding is yourself, not God. So the more you, the more you embrace God, the more you open up your heart and you become willing to deal with your brokenness, the more God establishes truth in the inward parts and he makes you solid. See, someone who is not solid... They don't have a relationship with truth. They have a relationship with feelings, circumstances, wounds, pain, rejection, anger, disappointment, and all that other stuff. They don't have an interaction. When you begin to have a relationship with truth, that's different. This is why the enemy will try to keep people out of the word of God so that they do not have a relationship with truth, so that they're all over the place, so that he can manipulate them and, and do all these things to them. So anyway, I want to just, uh, just give you kind of like a little brief... Um, preview of next week because I think it's important. So today we're going to talk about money um, and miracles. And I just want you to breathe easy. We're not taking a special offering. In the kingdom, we don't, my pastor taught me this, we don't take offerings. We don't take anything. We receive offerings. Uh, we don't take offerings. Off, we don't take things. We receive. And uh, so that's, that's an important thing. So we're not taking or receiving a special offering today. This is not about anything from you. This is, I'm trying to give something to you. Believe it or not. That's, that's why I'm here. So anyway, um, now the goal also with finances is, is not so that you would 
be like the children of Israel, wandering around from miracle to miracle. But the goal of finances is that you would learn to trust God and you would serve him, not money. And then money then serves you. That's a different, that's a different, that's the difference between. So when someone is indebted, money is their master and, and it is, it is constricting them. Versus when someone who is invested, compound interest is finding them. Do you understand? You get what I'm saying? So the goal, so this is a whole different situation. So the goal is not to need miracle after miracle. The goal is eventually for us to become someone else's miracle. And that, wouldn't that be a good, like, your miracle just walked in, you know, with a smile on, and he's here to bless you, and he's happy to do it. And so I, that, that is the goal that we would... Uh, walk into that type of blessing, which is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham that you would be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. We can start right here in West New York. You don't have to get on a plane. You can walk across the street. And if you want to get on a plane, I'll be getting on a plane so you can come with me. So there's that. Now, I want to just talk to you again. I'm, I'm repeating myself on purpose because it's important. The Bible talks more about economics than it does about eternity. You, 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 you study the Bible and you'll see. This is the American situation. I'm going to go through this quickly. America's debt is $31.4 trillion. It is now bigger than the GDP, gross domestic product. What does that mean? Imagine, imagine if you made, if your bills were $40,000 and you, know, you made $30,000. That means that you would be getting in $10,000 of debt every year, probably more actually, uh, probably like $20,000 worth of debt every year. And then it would be at 18% interest, which is really, really bad. And then it would rise to 24% interest, which basically would curse your future completely. Like you would be in a situation. And that's actually what we're doing in America. I don't know if you know this. When we print money, it's stealing because you're devaluing the current currency so every time there's a bailout, every time uh, there's, you know, COVID cash, all this stuff, our children are paying for that. So, so the, the idea, there's no such thing as a free lunch unless you buy it for someone. It's free to them, but it's not free to you because you had to get up and go get money so that you can buy someone a free lunch. So the idea of free doesn't exist. I just want you to really know that. It's really important. Now, um, the average American has $96,000 roughly worth of debt. 74 million Americans have more credit card debt than savings. That is a situation. 5% of churchgoers tithe. Now, I want to say one thing about most of you. I'm not going to put names up, but most of you defy the odds. There's some people here, as I was worshiping, the Lord told me specifically to stand against the odds. In faith, stand against the odds. We don't accept the odds. We're not about that. We're about overcoming that and being a sign in our generation. So, so this church, in its own little way, is a sign, and it's becoming a bigger sign with a bigger footprint in the nations and in the neighborhood. Because when you've let, when you open up your heart, you open up your treasure. Because where your heart is, your treasure is also. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. There's no way that you can disconnect those two. It just doesn't, it's not real. Now, 1.5 million people out of 247 million professing Christians tithe. So that means that only 1.5 million out of 247 million people are, are, are faithful in only one area of their life. That's not their web browser. That's not their relationships. That's not how they treat their wife and children. That's not how they behave at work when they're under pressure. That's not how they respond to disappointment when they don't get their little way and they act like babies at 26, 46, or 66. That's just one area in their life that is plain and simple. And, and in addition to that, we live in a culture of abundance. Which is, a, this, is, so this, is, these, this, is this is sad. Jesus died for more than that. I want to just tell you that. <laughs> so anyway, 77% of tithers, which people, that means that they give the Lord the first 10% of their money. 
That means if you make $100,000, you give the Lord $10,000. $10,000. That's not an offering. God, God, God does not remember tithes. That's a debt that we have to God. God remembers offerings. That is the bare minimum. 77% of the people that do that give more than 10%. And that's usually how it works. It usually works as if it's like 10% of the people do 90% of the work. That is a critique. That is not good. We want to, we want to get above that. And so anyway, now today we're going to think about learning to think biblically about money. Learning to think biblically. These are all the times the scripture mentions money. Well, 37 times money, 149. I'm going to go through this quickly. You see it's on the screen. For those of you who are listening on a podcast, I'm really sorry about that. But it mentions giving 1,058 times. Offerings, 1,449 times. Tithes, 41 times. Usury, which is using your money not in, a, in a not good way, uh, 10 times. Bribes, 24 times. Debt, 10 times. Poverty, 20, 21 times. The poor, two, 202 times. Um, you see covetousness 37 times, uh, being rich 189 times. So the Bible talks a lot about money, whether we want to, whether we want to acknowledge that or not, this is the truth. So this is not like a shakedown, but this is the biblical reality. You say, oh, I don't care about money. Well, I don't know about that because you spend 40 or 50 hours of your week getting money. So when you tell me that you don't care about money, you're being dishonest. That's not true. That's not true. It's not real. Now, here's some biblical truths about money. The tithe was before the law. So people get go, oh, the tithe is not New Covenant, New Testament. The tithe was before the law. So it's not Old Covenant or New Covenant. It's eternal. It's a principle. It's a kingdom principle. The kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting. Abraham, when he went and got Lot, remember when, when Lot, remember how Abraham had to go get Lot? Let me tell you about Abraham. Abraham had an army of more than 300 men trained to fight, and he had never fought a war yet. Faith always makes preparation for the future. Can I tell you something? Broke people do not have an army of 300 guys. Is that all right? So he went to go and recover Lot. And with the plunders of his victory, he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Melchizedek didn't, you know, text him like, hey, you want to give today? Like, what's going on here? Like, that was the overflow of generosity. Generosity is normal to people who have victory. <laughs> okay. Tithing is not giving. It's a debt you owe to God who purchased you in his own blood. I don't know if you know this, but you were bought with a price. So that means that you're priceless and you're valuable. So that means your net worth is not what you're worth. You're worth more than your net worth. You, you, are, you are priceless to God. God would rather die than live without you. That's the truth about you. Now, if you don't believe that about yourself, then you will, you will live in such a way that you will devalue what God says is priceless, which is not wise. Now, offerings are God, uh, what God remembers. Psalm 20, verse 3. Uh, I, I say this, if you don't, this is, this, is, this is the bottom line. If you don't tithe, you're robbing God. If you don't give offerings, you're robbing yourself. That's, I know people that don't go to church and are not even full believers, really, and they tithe because they want the blessing of the Lord on their finances. Do you know that there's people that they tithe to this church, they don't even come here? This is a straight, this is a true. So anyway, uh, giving to the poor is actually lending to the Lord. Giving to people who speak into your life. We saw that with, with uh, First Kings. And your savings can't save you. You see the story in the gospel where the guy's going to build more barns to store his stuff, kind of like storage units. Same thing. So he goes to get a storage unit and he drops dead because his savings can't save him. And so should you save? Yes. Should you be prepared for the future? Yes. But don't ever put your trust in your savings. Put your trust in the Lord. 
Just want to say that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't save. You should. Uh, it's wise. Now, here's more stories in the gospel about money. Because the whole thing wasn't enough. The wise men from the east, they come to bring Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you remember that? Okay. Jesus manifesting his glory at the wedding of Canaan, John 2. Can I tell you something? Do you want to know something real practical? Rich people don't run out of wine. Have you ever been to someone who's rich's house? Guess what rich people have? They have a wine cellar or a special refrigerator for wine. That's what rich people have. And so they do not, they do not run out. Rich people don't run out. That's for poor people. You know why? Because many times rich people think ahead and poor people are stuck in this present thing. See, poverty is not, is not just a condition or a situation. It's often in the mind. See, prosperity starts in your soul. John says, above all things, I want you to prosper and be in good health, even where? As your soul prospers. So if my soul is prosperous, I'll be healthy. If I'm healthy, eventually I'll be wealthy. It, that means that I'm, I am a good steward. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will have a Rolls Royce, but it means that everyone will have more than enough to share, which is wealthy. All right. Jesus uh, calling Peter. God calling Peter into the ministry. That's a financial story. That's what I'm going to preach about in a few minutes. We're just warming up. But I'm not going to hostage you. Like last week, I'm sorry. That was really a hostage. I looked at it. Sarah looked at it. She goes. Okay. The fish and the loaves. That, was a, that is a financial miracle. Jesus bought everyone lunch supernaturally. The rich young ruler. He, he was possessed by his possessions, so he couldn't enter into his purpose. That's a story about money. Jesus paying the taxes through the coin in the fish's mouth. Remember that story? The rich man in Lazarus. That's a story about money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue. Jesus watching the offering plate. I hate when pastors go, oh, I don't watch the offering. I don't look at what gives. I don't know. Why? You are the chief steward that is responsible for that. When you say that to me, it doesn't make sense. It's like a guy that goes, oh, I just let my wife do everything. All the finances, everything. You don't look? You, the more money that you have, you better look. You better look. You better be careful. You better take notice to know, like the proverb says, your herds, because riches do not endure forever. You better look, especially in the digital age. You better look. You better stay vigilant. There's, there's fraudulent things happening all the time. And just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we're immune to fraud and all these other things. You better stay alert. So Jesus watched the offering plate. Remember that? And he said, oh, that widow who gave two mites, her last two mites, she gave more than all the rich people putting in $100 bills. Boom, 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 boom. She gave more. I'm paraphrasing. Why? Because he measured what she gave by what she had. Are you, are you tracking me? So they may have given 500 but that 500 represents less than that woman, that widow giving two mites. She gave everything. See, he doesn't measure as we measure. That's another very important thing. Now, Judas questioning the budget over the alabaster jar. And not because he wanted to help the poor, because he was a crook. That woman broke the alabaster jar. That's about $30,000 offering, bang, over the feet of Jesus. You remember that? And all the, all the, everyone was upset about that. The religious people were upset. Judas was upset because he was a crook. Everybody was all bent out of shape about her. And guess what? She didn't care how they felt about her offering because she was focused on Jesus. She was sitting at Jesus' feet. She knew that Jesus was going to die. She was the only one that could see the cross before him. And she anointed him for burial. And the story of her story, because she was listening to him, goes wherever the gospel goes as a memorial, not for him, but for her. 
Jesus yokes himself to her offering eternally. He says, wherever the gospel goes, this story will go as a memorial for you. Jesus doesn't care about how people feel about your yes. That's powerful. Now, Judas betraying Jesus, 30 pieces of silver. Do you know Samson was worth more than that? Samson was for 40. <laughs> How's that for value? Then Judas comes. He's so crazy, he's up and down, all over the place. He comes, gives the money back, and then goes and hangs himself. The end of, the end of shame is suicide. Suicide is never God's idea. It's demonic. It's bad. The enemy self-destructed, so he wants people to self-destruct. He would rather you kill yourself than him kill you. Whoa, that's... <laughs> Thank you. We got a lot of preachers here. So anyway, uh, so, so then that was the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy... That was a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. And they bought land to bury strangers, which is to dignify the undignified. So even in Jesus is getting sold out, he's blessing the stranger. <laughs> Jesus. The Roman soldiers, those animals, they were gambling... For Jesus' clothes, these are like the great-great-great-grandfather of, like, Versace <laughs> and Dolce Gabbana. So anyway, I'm just messing with you. That's not biblical. So, so <laughs> Joseph of Arimathea, he was a rich man. The Bible says that he was a rich disciple of the Lord. What did he do? He had asking power. He, he, he said to, the, to, the, to Rome, give me the body of Jesus. See, when you have wealth and you have prominence, you have asking power. You cannot abuse that. So, so this is something that he was a rich disciple of Jesus. And what did he do? He put Jesus in his own tomb. He wasn't staying there. See, when you're a wealthy disciple of Jesus, what you do is you make room for the body of Christ. And that was a sign because Jesus didn't just die for us. He died as us. So they put him in Joseph's tomb because Joseph was crucified with Christ. Anyway. Okay. The bribery of Roman soldiers. Do you know that the religious Jews, the, the, the ones that were responsible for Jesus' unjust trial, bribed the soldiers? Did you know that? So these are just, just a few stories. There's more. The whole Luke 15 is about money. Anyway, when Jesus talks about forgiveness, guess what he talks about? Money. Why? Because money is not feelings. <laughs> money is black and white. You either got it or don't got it. You may feel like you got it. That doesn't mean I've been there. But that doesn't mean you got it because you feel like you got it. You know, some people, they are rich, but they feel poor. And there are other people who are poor and feel rich. I've always felt rich. I identify as rich, you know, like I, you know, because it's, it starts in here. You have to cultivate that in your heart, in your mind, so that it, so that it can get into your life. And I'm not talking about manifesting or anything weird like that. What I'm talking about is aligning your heart and your mind with God's word and aligning yourself with the principles of the Lord, which leads to increase. If you're faithful with what you have, you'll get more. This is plain. Like when Isaac today was talking about worship, dying, 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 crucify, you got to die, die, die. Yes, that is true. That is very true. But it is for the purpose of abundant life. It's not because God is sadistic and he wants to punish you and he's angry and he wants to see like how much torture can you take? How tough are you really? Like he's not, you know, it's not like the fight club. God is a father and he loves us and he disciplines us and he prunes us that we would bear more fruit. So the whole purpose of death 
is so that life can come forth. Like, for example, John the Revelator, he's the only dude that shows up to the foot of the cross. It's all women. It's like a prayer meeting. Four women, one dude. And they're always old women. They're praying. They're praying, and it's like, you know, they always have a dysfunctional husband or a dysfunctional son that's a baby, 30-year-old baby. And they, they, they didn't learn how to pray because they're messed up. They have messed up family. That's how my mom learned to pray. You know how she learned to pray? She lived with me and my dad. That's true. No, no, I'm sorry. I mean, it's, that's true. You don't become, this is honest, you don't become who you are without a little pressure on you. That, everything going easy and sweet does not produce travail in your life. So anyway, John shows up at the foot of the cross. Now people from all over the world go to the island of Patmos to go and to see a cave where Jesus met with John. Wow. It's like a little place dedicated to him and where Jesus met him because he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who's willing to lose it will find it. He's the last man standing. They're all dead. He's the last man standing. Wow. See? When, you, when you're willing to let go, you can receive. So now, anyway, these are just stories about, beyond money, they're about value. What is it that you value? See, all right, I'm going to get at Luke 5. I got to be careful now. I'm looking at the shot clock. I'm like... Okay. Uh, it would be great if it just shut me off, like just, just the mic just turned off. But I just feel like, I just feel bad. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, a dog that peed on the rug. All right. Luke chapter 5. Now we're starting. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. The Bible calls this the, the, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. It has it's one body of water with three names, depending on where you stand as it relates to that body of water. See that? See, your perspective identifies your location. That was free. All right. Now, uh, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes on the boat. So let me just say it this way. Simon is done. Jesus is just beginning. <laughs> uh, there's been times where I've told Jesus, I said, Jesus, I am done with this church. I am done. I want to be left alone. <laughs> I, he said, no, you're just beginning. Jesus, I'm done homeschooling these children. I'm done with everyone. I, no, no, no. We're just beginning. It's good. Don't worry. See, God's timetable and our timetable is a different timetable. So everyone, they're done. Jesus says, I'm getting into your boat. This is really beautiful. So now Jesus is using Simon's boat as a pulpit. He's in a, uh, what is an inlet. And what's happening is he's sitting on the boat teaching. But the way that the, the land is and, and the way the sea is, and the sea is carrying his voice. It's like a pulpit. It's like, it's like a natural amphitheater. It's carrying his voice. See, he's the creator. He knows how to move without a microphone. That's another message. You don't need a microphone to preach. So anyway, this, this is something. But so now he's, he's just there. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Now, this is this is very, very important because. Jesus, I don't know if you're seeing this, but really, this is, this is a hostage situation. Jesus gets into his boat and tells him, go out. It's like, it's like, Jesus, it's a violation. It's like, <laughs> Jesus is not asking him. Jesus is telling him. Now, he's telling him graciously, but he's telling him. When, let me just say one thing to you. Let me encourage you. 
Jesus is not, uh, not, this is not a democracy. This is not like, well, we're going to have a board vote. Jesus, when he says something, that's it. He's not asking, he's telling. He's the Lord. He's the creator. And so he says, let's go. <laughs> this is really something to hear, I'm telling you. Um, launch out into the deep and let your nets, plural, down for a catch. Did you, did you catch that? But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, Rhema, at the, the word that we live by the word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The preceding word of God is the rhema word of God. It is the word that releases provision, miracles, prophecy. It is the word that we live by. The, the, the Spirit quickens the Scripture. This happened to John. John was, John was in the wilderness, and he, he was reading, and he realized that Isaiah 40, 1 through 3, was about him, and when the Spirit quickened him according to the Scriptures, he was willing to say no to a career to embrace a calling. So when, when the Spirit quickens you according to the Scripture, there's eternal life there and there's calling there. That's why when the scriptures are open to someone, it's different than someone who's blind, but they go to the Bible. That's different. Now, it says this, we have toiled all night. Let me show you toiled. <laughs> Let's go back. Let's go back. Where does toil come from? Genesis 3. Judgment. They're naked. <laughs> Who told you you were naked? <laughs> well, sin has made us self-conscious. Self-focused. So anyway, this is, this is him talking to Adam. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Uh-oh. Because you were led by someone that I told you to lead. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Toil is part of the curse of sin and death. You see that when Paul is wrestling with the dark powers in the church, he says that in much toil uh, I, I engage because that is a part of the ministry because you are breaking through sin and death to minister Christ. But toil is not from God. Toil was not God's idea. Now, there was work before there was sin, so hear me. Work is from God. Work is dignified. Toil is not from God. Toil is the result of sin. Many people, their life is a toil. It's not a flow. They don't work from a place of rest. They work from a place of anxiety. Wearisome, anxious work that is toil. How do I know you're toiling? Because you'll have a meltdown at work. That's toil. That's toil. Versus working from the flow and from the rest of faith. It's, you're still working. You're going to work. But it's not the same spirit in which you are working. So he says that we've done it all night and caught nothing. In other words, we are tired, frustrated, disappointed, anxious. Have you ever been there? I had a PhD in disappointing. 
I know it. I don't have it anymore, but I know all about it. So this is, this is really something. Now, I want, you, I want you to really, in your heart, get the fact that the rhema word of God re releases breakthrough. So, so now, if you know that the rhema word of God will release breakthrough in your life, then you should have a listening ear. See, I, I just want to be honest with you. If I'm going to do something... I want a strategy. I, I want God to say, here's how you're going to do what you're going to do. Because that's to me is important. Maybe you don't need a strategy. But me, I want to like, show me the strategy, Lord. Like, like Deborah was mentioning, you know, they, they marched around Jericho. You remember that? That's a strategy. For seven days, guess whose heads they're getting into? They're getting into the enemy's head for seven days. See, the battle is... That's a whole other message. I'm not going to do all that. But this... So launch out your nets into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Excuse me. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets, plural, for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your rhema, I will let down the net, singular, singular. He said, let down your nets, plural. One of the things that disappointment and anxiety does is it blocks our ability to listen because we are preoccupied with disappointment and frustration. The always, always, always the question we've got to ask ourselves is what is God saying? What is he telling me to do in this situation? How do I move from here? This is what we need to know. Whether you're broke, whether you got $10 million in the bank, you need to know the very same question. What do I need to do from right here? How do I move? You, that is poor in spirit. That is humble in heart, which means to have a listening ear, to hear instruction. See, sometimes we are so bent on doing what we want to do that we miss what God wants to do. Yesterday, I had plans. God had better plans. And those plans benefited me. So I like, I don't know about you, but I like plans <laughs> that benefit me. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're okay. But I like when God says, no, no, no. You want to go this way? Eh, I got something better for you here. Let's go. I'm going to buy you lunch. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to open door. I'm going to do something for you. I want to go here. God said, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. So it always comes down to what is God saying? What is God saying? And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Partial obedience cannot contain the full blessing. Partial obedience. Obedience on your terms. Not full and complete obedience halfway. That will not contain the blessing. Jesus tells him, let down your nets, plural. He lets down his nets, singular, because distraction and disappointment had distracted him enough. He had no expectation and he showed that he had no real expectation because he let down one net, not nets. See, disappointment will suck the expectation right out of your life. You can have expectation or you can have disappointment, but if you don't deal with your disappointment, you can't have expectation. So we all go through disappointing things. I can tell you that I went through a decade, actually, of disappointment. I can tell you straight up. A decade. Ten years of disappointment. 
things that, that, like, for example, I'm writing a book on healing, a book on healing. I finally have money to pay for it. I got a book on healing published with a major publisher. The day I pick it up, they tell me the book is Go Preach Heal. They tell me the cancer treatment for your mom is not working the day I pick the pallet of books up. God says, what are you going to do? You're going to have an offended heart or you're going to keep trusting me and keep serving me? How are you going to respond to that, Junior? How are you gonna how are you gonna navigate those waters, pal? You, you what are you gonna do? You're gonna guard your heart, you're gonna trust me, or you're gonna shut down. See? You you we all go through things that are disappointing, that feel like a slap in the face. That felt like an open slap, pow, right in the face. Like, whoa. Like, but guess what? You gotta keep moving. You, you got to say, yes, I feel disappointed. Yes, that's real, but I'm going to move in obedience. I'm going to focus on what God is saying, not what's not happening. So anyway, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they singled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Isn't that crazy? God said, I'm going to sink you with a blessing. Think about that. Now, I know that we are so spiritual. And I know that we're so in the moment that we miss that this is a money miracle. Giving a fisherman fish. <laughs> like... Uh, that is a money miracle. Guess what you do with fish? You sell fish. And then, do you see that? When God is calling Peter, God is establishing to Peter, Peter, you can trust me. See, you cannot represent me well if you don't trust me fully. You cannot represent me well you cannot represent me boldly if you don't trust me wholly. You cannot represent someone that you don't really know. That's the problem with evangelism. People go, they want to read you a little you know, card. They don't know Jesus. They can, I cannot read you a card. I'll read your mail, but I'm not going to read you a card. Because how can you represent someone that you don't know them? That's misrepresentation. It's fraudulent. So we have to learn to seek the Lord, to know the Lord, to press into the kingdom, to know his heart so that we can represent him well in the spaces that he has sent us. So anyway, let's get back to the story. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What does Paul say? It is the kindness of God the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It is the goodness of God. It was the blessing of God that allowed Peter to see the error of his way. It was the generosity of God that allowed Peter to see his bankruptness. Jesus doesn't mention sin or his web browser or his nasty attitude or anything. How do I know he was in sin? Toil. He was still living under the curse of sin and death because of toil. That is not God's heart for his people. Now, yes, work. Yes, work hard. Yes, work with all your strength. Sure, not toil. That's a line you don't want to cross that line. It's like save, be wise. Sure, invest. Yes, don't trust in that. There's a certain line where you give something too much of a place that it doesn't deserve. No good. No good. That's not healthy. You have to have discernment to see that. It's good, but if, if you give it a place that it doesn't deserve, that's not God. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And also there was James and John, the sons of Devity, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. 
From now on, you will catch men. In other words, through this miracle and through this breakthrough, I am establishing a calling in your life and I am calling you out from your job into your work. Where did Jesus show up? At his job. They were, they were washing the nets. They were faithful. Jesus shows up to faithful people, not perfect people, faithful people, people that are diligent, people that are consistent. Jesus doesn't show up to the unemployment line. Every time God shows up, God is calling people to a greater purpose who are being diligent in what they're supposed to be doing. Every time. Levi is a crook. He's robbing people at the tax booth. I mean, that's what crooks do. They rob people. He's at work robbing folks. Jesus goes, all right, I'll take you. You come too. Peter, they're doing the nets. John and them, they're cleaning the nets. They're getting ready. Okay, you guys come. They are people. David, what was he doing? Tending the sheep. Elisha, what was he doing? Oxen. Moses, what was he doing? Watching sheep. Gideon. God called Gideon. Do you know what happened with Gideon? This is what people don't realize about Gideon. People think that Gideon was just hiding. Gideon was one of the only people that didn't get robbed by the Midianites. He hid. <laughs> he was hiding, but he didn't get robbed. The rest of them got robbed. Do you know where the Midianites are? The spirit of the Midianite spirit comes. Every time you get a harvest, that spirit wants to steal your harvest. The Midianites only came out against Israel when they got a harvest. See, the enemy is, a, he's, he, the, Satan, do you know that Satan is broke? That's why he's a thief. He comes, Jesus said this, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So when he comes with a slick opportunity, behind that is steal, kill, and destroy. Click here. Boom. But his only intention, his only initiative is to steal, kill, and destroy. So he'll dress it up, he'll package it, he'll present it, he'll PowerPoint it, but behind it is steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's there to do, steal, kill, and destroy. God said, I have come that you may have life and have life more abundantly. God is, the commandments of the Lord are to contribute to the quantity and the quality of your life. God is speaking to you to add to your life. Even when you give, even when you die to yourself, even when people are martyred, God said, no problem. I got a crown of life for you set up. No problem. You're going to, you want to give treasure in heaven? Okay. You want to follow me now? Okay. There's an eternal reward later where, where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break in the steel. Don't worry. None of the sacrifices that you make are in vain. My pastor, our first pastor said, Pastor Jason Alvarez said, only what you do for Jesus counts for eternity. So, so, so when, when, you are, when you are giving, when you are serving, when you are doing something with a pure motive, it passes through the fires of testing. And if it's pure, you're building for eternity. You're building eternal wealth. This is true. So anyway, this is, so from, don't be afraid. So, so there's a sense of fear that came upon Peter because he was amazed at what happened because Peter is a fisherman, but Peter never caught a fish like that. <laughs> See, when, when God steps into the equation, it is exponentially better and when it is not from the toil of sin and death, it is from the blessing of obedience. At nevertheless, nevertheless my disappointment, nevertheless, at your word, at your word. Now, what is God establishing in Peter? Who is not Peter yet, he's Simon. He's still becoming Peter. He hasn't become Peter yet. And to fully become Peter, he's going to be called Simon three times to trigger him. <laughs> That's another story for later. Because later on, post-resurrection, God tells him to let down your nets, and he lets down the nets. And they don't break. They don't break. They can contain the harvest because he obeyed. Wow. See? God 
wants to bless people, but they can't, they, they can't manage, they, can, they don't have the power to retain it. I know I've been there. I'm not there, right? but I've been there. That's <laughs> like, you have, something comes through, but you cannot hold on to it. You cannot build it. It's always gone. It's always diminishing because inside of you there's lack. And so outside of you, that, that is, that is the, unfortunately, you, you produce what you are. And so instead of increasing, you're decreasing. Which is the opposite of the principle of inheritance because inheritance is, is the same principle as Investing, you're making wise choices now that benefit later. That's, that's the difference between the credit card spirit. I've got to have it now, but I'm going to pay later. That's, that's a whole different mentality and mindset. And until you shake that mentality loose completely, you will be, it'll hurt you. It'll, it'll stop the favor and the blessing in your life. You, you'll be at a standstill until you deal with that idea. This is, this is a, and, and you know, you can have a lot and still have a poverty mindset. There's people that are rich, but they have a, they have a, a mindset of poverty. That's not healthy either. You cannot overvalue things or money, but if you're going to steward them, if you're going to steward something, you have to know its value. You know, when Isaac picks up his guitar, He's cautious with the guitar because that's valuable. It's delicate. So, so you have to have an awareness of what you're handling. This is why when you handle the word of God, you have to handle the word of God faithfully. You have to be honest. I have to be honest with you. I can't lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you so that you like me and think, oh, he's cool. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. There's standards of, in the word of God. They're not my standards. They're God's standards. So if you don't like them, it's not me that you have a problem with. It's God that you have a problem with. But if you're going to, handling the word of God isn't enough. You have to handle the word of God faithfully. That's true. But you also have to handle people gently. That's also true. So it's, so, so because people are valuable, they have to be handled with care. Now, some people need to be told the truth and, and you know, gun whip with the truth a little bit. Because some people, because we are in a, we are in a, a we, I mean, seriously, because we are in a, Time that is so devoid of truth, it hates facts and hires fact checkers that are not fact checkers. I, I, the other day, Forbes posted something. Forbes posted on their Instagram that the whole thing that just happened in Syria and Turkey, which is horrible, 20,000 people died in an earthquake, terrible. They said that that was the greatest tragedy of our day. 230,000 people died in Haiti. That is exponentially. There was more dead people in the city that I was in alone than in that whole situation. It's terrible, but what they posted is not historically accurate. No fact checkers, no links. I thought, oh, interesting. Interesting. Anyway. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Are you, most people, this is fascinating, most of us meet Jesus at a low point. Jesus, Peter is, is experiencing Jesus at a high point. He, he, he just gets a breakthrough, and he leaves it. What did Jesus do? Jesus set up his family so that while he's gone, things are taken care of. You cannot neglect your family to build God's family. If you cannot rule your own household well, you cannot serve God's household. You, so, so now Peter, Peter was away. But he also, they came and went. But he was away. He, he left his wife for an extended period of time. Which, you have, to, you have to build for that. Some people, you can't leave their wife alone for a week. They go crazy. 
because you, you know you you've catered to that you've created a monster and then the monster wants to eat you now this is you in the kingdom if you're going to serve the purposes of god you know you you there, there's a little bit of you have to learn how to navigate that because the purposes of god sometimes are discomforting but you have to learn how to handle that well like for example an army guy who goes out to war he's not like oh okay babe i love you i'll be home for dinner you know like crane like there are times where i mean i'm sorry unfortunately someone has got to fight the taliban and so therefore i am not going to be home to dinner so that you can have dinner it's like it's like, you know, sometimes, what am I saying? I'm saying sometimes that there's sacrifices that need to be made. There's temporary sacrifices that need to be made for a greater purpose. I'm not saying that so people neglect their family. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that this miracle that happened in Peter's life, who is at this point still Simon, is setting Simon up. It's setting a precedent to Simon. You can trust me. I will take care of you. You can have confidence day one that you can trust me. Day one. See, God never asks people to trust him unless he gives them a reason to trust him. The other miracle, John 2, that he manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. Those guys were already following him. They didn't even fully believe him. And these are his best people. These are, these are, this is not like the opposition. His best guys are with him, and they're not even with him. <laughs> these are the best guys? Are you sure? Yeah, these are the best guys. They don't get it, but they're there. You know, it's like, it's like <laughs> we're here. We don't get it. We're not really here emotionally, but we're here. So, you know, it's like, all right. And so he manifests his glory, and his disciples believe in him. That miracle was not just for the poor guy that ran out of wine. It wasn't just a sign for the Jews telling them that you cannot wash yourself in water. You need to be washed in blood and wine. That's a whole other message. But, but, but it was for the people that were with him to be further with him to see, you can trust me. The representatives have to be able to represent. That's <laughs> like basic 101. Jesus, Jesus, the disciples are done like Pete. Disciples are done. What do they say? They say, all right, send the people home. We're done. It's like, Jesus goes, no, nope, we're just starting. Oh, man. We're done with these people. No, 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 no. Feed them. What? Five loaves, two fish. A little boy gives his lunch. Jesus sits them down, right? Come on. Well, just, we're going to finish this right here. Jesus sits him down. What does he do? Sits him down in 50s. He sets order. Order is what facilitates the blessing. He lifts the bread. Thanks, God. Thanksgiving is a key to multiplication. It activates the miraculous. Deborah was singing in worship today that we thank God before it's here. Me and my wife are so shot and so crazy. This is how crazy we are. Like 12 or 13 years ago, we went out in Rutherford to celebrate buying a house and we never even had bought a house yet because we knew God spoke to us and certain things were going to happen. And we, so we trusted him, believing him before it happened. That's how crazy we are. We went out to Risotto House and we celebrated before the breakthrough because that's what faith does. See, Hope, you, you rejoice in hope, which means that, 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 that the expectations energize you before the delivery. It has to affect your emotional life. You can't tell me, I'm, I'm full of hope. Yeah, sure, that's great. So anyway, Jesus sits him down. And what happens here is that through the, their obedience, the food multiplies. You guys, you guys with that? Then what happens? Who takes the leftovers home? <laughs> so they go from lack to leftovers. This is the mentality that people, this, this has to get into your spirit. The guys that were like, eh, we got a problem, we're done. He goes, no, 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 you're not done. And you're going to have a solution. And in case, so you don't forget, you're going to take the solution home with you. 
Because if the representatives can represent, we got a big problem. We got a big problem. And that is the crisis that faces our nation. The representatives are not representing. That's the problem. The problem is not in the White House. The problem is in the church house. And what is in the White House is because of the church house. That's the problem. That is the real, real, real deal, straight up issue. So if we're not willing to get our heart and mind in order and get our own house in order, then we cannot point a figure at the world. Like people are like, oh, the Grammys are demonic. When have the Grammys not been demonic? Now it's just more open because they don't care. They're not hiding. Everyone has come out of the closet except the church. The church is like, well, you know, oh, we don't want to offend you. We're really like everyone and their mother has come out of the closet and we're still dancing around like, oh, we don't want to offend you. Maybe you need to be offended. Maybe offending you will be the first sign of something is wrong in your life. Like Mike Bickle has said, that God will offend your mind to win your heart. Like maybe you need to be offended. Maybe you need to realize, no, 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 something is wrong. And now, through understanding that, we're going to become willing to be made right. Now, I want to wrap up right now. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up here because this, this is, if you do not know God as provider, you will always be apprehensive to represent him boldly. Apprehensive, when someone is apprehensive, they're, they're not, they want to be in. But they're not in. They're like, there's like a plan B or, you know, C. It's not like, it's not all in. But for us to be kingdom, we got to be all in. What I, what I sense in my heart and what I, what I, what I, what, what I'm, what I'm in my spirit, like what I sense beyond words, if I could say it in that manner is that I sense that the Lord is looking <clears throat> to establish trust in some of our lives to bring some of us out of our job into our work. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't make money. That's not what I'm saying. You, you, money, we understand you need that. I'm not against that. But... Out of toil into favor. Even, even some people's work situation is not favorable. And then some of you have favorable work situations where you're adding value and you, you, there's something, there's, there are purposes for you where you are. And you should be there. But then there's other people that God wants to call you out of that and align you with kingdom purpose. If, here's what I'll say to you. If you do not align yourself with kingdom purpose, you will live with an unnecessary sense of frustration. And it, it will bother you to the point where you'll, there are two things that will happen. Either you'll shut yourself down and become numb. Or it will produce a cry and a travail in your life that will lead to purpose in the kingdom. So it depends on how like you respond to like that. For me, <clears throat> I used to be a plumber by trade. And I would drive from Little Ferry to Midland Park. And every day, by the time I hit the root four hook, I was in tears, crying. You know that hook? You, leave, you go home that hook. By the time I was at that hook, I was full-blown meltdown tears. Every day. Listening to worship music. On the way to that job, knowing this was not my work. But I don't know what my work is, but that's not it. Every day. For years. Until you really cry out to God 
one of the things, Haiti, that crying out to God does is it produces a willingness in your spirit. When someone has a willing spirit, they, they find a way, not an excuse. They, they, they just, they're, they're pliable. They're teachable. The Lord has produced something. They're not obstinate. Like when you tell a little kid, we're going to leave, and they go, and they become like as stiff as a board. Like, like, like you know, we got, we got so, so, so you become pliable in the Lord's hands, and you can enter into the Lord's purpose for your life. All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask you for pliable, teachable, humble. God, we want to trust you wholeheartedly. We want to represent you boldly. We want to serve you faithfully. We want to work diligently. But I'm asking you that you would begin to expose toil in our life so that we can get, get up out of that and we can get into the, the, the alignment of favor and breakthrough and blessing through obeying your word. And so I pray right now, Father, for those who are here, for those who are watching, for those who are listening, that they would hear the proceeding word of God, the word that is proceeding from your mouth that releases life and purpose and blessing and favor. I, I pray that they would just hear the proceeding word, that their faith would be built up and that they would live lives that are pleasing to you and they would live in the pleasure of pleasing you and the joy of knowing you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.